At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Built for More, Church Beyond the Weekend, where we will see what the Psalms teaches us about how life is enriched when we live and serve in community with our church family. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Man, fourth wise man, right? Man, how many of you actually knew there was a fourth wise man? Um, that, that's just a complete joke. We don't actually know how many wise men there were. Um, the Bible doesn't actually say. It doesn't. Um, it's actually an 8th century idea, and it just kind of stuck. We, we don't even think there were three wise men. So um, just so you know, right? But I think all of us can relate to that. Who's the guy, who's the person in this room that brings the hummus or loses the white jade? Anybody? Anybody brave enough to admit it? All right, we have some brave souls here. Um, hey, my name's Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're new, if you're visiting with us, hey, welcome, welcome, welcome. We have some friends out at the desk in the lobby who'd love to meet you and give you a gift. So make sure you stop by and say hi. This evening, we will be in Matthew chapter 2, talking about wise men. Um, before we go there in our Bibles, let's pray. Father in heaven, you are love. And in your love, you sent your only son into the world so that we may live through him. It's in your love that you had your son pay the price for our sins. It's in your love that we are given a new birth, a new purpose, a new family. We are called your children because you love us as your own. God, we, we love you because you loved us first. You make us perfect in that love of yours, God. And we celebrate Christmas today because it's the day that marks the, when your love was embodied in human form. So help us celebrate that momentous occasion. I ask that your love will manifest itself in us and through us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Illuminate our hearts, our minds, and our lives and bring us towards your love. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, Where is the Christ to be born? They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. We've been looking at first-person accounts of the first Christmas throughout the month of December. And we've been learning from their stories. And what we've been learning is how can we apply their experiences to our own faith, to our own lives. And we, we, we really have to learn something about Christmas because most years we're just going to miss the point. Right? Regardless of how you feel about Christmas, about Jesus, about God, there, there's something that we, all of us, whether we believe in Jesus as our Savior or not, have to learn from this account here. Because there, there are three characters in the story who, whose lives and whose, whose tales diverge. And that will mark our lives, our lives of faith, every decision that we make about Christmas, about religious activity, about God himself. And I really want you to see these three responses that human beings naturally give from three characters that we see here. Herod, the client king of the Jews, the chief priests and scribes, and the wise men. What we learned here about the first birth of Jesus was that their emotions were marked by three different responses. One of anger, one of apathy, and one of adoration. There, there's a fourth response here, and some of you may have caught it. It's anxiety. And we're going to address anxiety in a little bit. But I, I want to start with Herod. Herod, he embodies anger. I, I'm gonna, this time what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the Bible, take the scripture that we just read, and I'm just going to read the portions about the character, where the character is involved. And we're going to talk about King Herod. We're, we're going to see what he's experiencing from his eyes, from his perspective. And this begins, it picks up in verse 1 again. The wise men came from the east to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. That's anxiety. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. When the wise men came from the east, they were in his town. They were looking for a king who wasn't him. He is the one that politicked, negotiated his way to become king of the Jews. He bartered. He had family members murdered. He did all of this to alleviate the anxiety that he was feeling about potentially another king. And when that anxiety kind of rose to the top, what he did was this. He had a secret meeting. With the wise men. Look at this in verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent to them to Bethlehem, go search diligently for the child. When you find him, bring me word so that I can worship him too. After listening to the king, 
they went on their way. I, I want you to see this, right? How many of us have tried to alleviate our anxiety through manipulation? Because this is exactly what King Herod is doing. And, and I mean, may, maybe manipulation is the wrong word. We, we don't like that word. We'll call it using our emotional intelligence, right? We use our emotional intelligence to manipulate a situation, don't we? Because anxiety is starting to rise to the top. We have secret meetings. We have conversations and whispers. And this is what's happening with Herod, right? It requires some cunning. It requires some cunning to seat your family members just the perfect way so all hell doesn't break loose at dinner tonight, right? That, that's what it takes, right? And I mean, don't, don't look to your spouse, right? You're going to get a lump of coal if you do. But Herod's anxiety eventually turns to anger. And we know that he turns to anger because in verse 16, at the end of the story, it says Herod, when he saw that he was tricked by the wise men, it wasn't their plan to trick him. He became furious and he killed all the boys in the region, two years of age and under. That's genocide. He decided he was going to kill the people who would have served in his army out of jealousy, in a rage. I, I mean, just these, these are people who are going to pay taxes to you. Why would you go off and kill them? Because of what you heard, not, not even from someone in your own country, but three guys or four guys, or five guys, or how many ever wise men there were who said, there's a king that was born. Where is he? This is the level of anger that we respond to with sometimes, isn't it? We, we hear things, and then we start responding, and it's outrageous. It's ludicrous, right? And maybe your anxiety is not so bad, and your anger doesn't rage like that. Maybe it's a gentle simmer, like a tea kettle, right? It, it just simmers, it starts whistling little bits and a little bit at a time, but when someone touches you, you know, that person's going to get burned. But it, it, it doesn't cause a scene like Herod. And, and I can tell you why you have anxiety. I can tell you why you're angry. It's because the year is ending yet again, and your goals and the achievements that you wanted, it didn't happen. It, it's because the pressures that your boss gave you, that your family members have for you, are just undone. It's because you remember the people you lost, the meals you have to prep, serve, and then clean up, right? It's the family members that you have to accommodate. It's the unfulfillment that you have in your life in general, and it makes you angry because you look at everybody else, and that's not you. Right? And if those things were not enough pressure to give you anxiety or make you angry, you have to go and buy the best present. You have to go out to these parties where you have to mingle. You, you have to do it all without catching COVID. Right? And so when things don't go the way you plan and they rarely go the way you plan, you just turn out straight up angry. Not, not to mention that uncle that you just forgot about, you remembering right now that you didn't get the present for because you don't really care for him much, right? I, I know you're mad at me for bringing that up, right? I mean, those things make you anxious and angry. And, and you know what? Christmas isn't even about you. It's not even about your kid. It's not about your family. It's not about these things. And that's what we have to remember. It's Jesus' birthday. It's his birthday, not ours. It's the day God entered humanity, and that's what we remember. We shouldn't get angry over it. We shouldn't be 
having anxiety from it. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you don't react emotionally in anger and anxiety. You are just apathetic. You're apathetic towards Christmas, to Jesus, to God, because you're only here because you wanted to spend time with your family, who you say you love, right? And if they weren't here, you wouldn't be here. And you know what? It doesn't add another hour or second to your day or to your life to help you do what you want to do. This is something that happened 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, not even in your own neighborhood, right? You'd rather go home and watch The Witcher on Netflix, right? I know, right? Because you're apathetic. Most of the world is. Most of the world is. And it's not like you couldn't buy that gift that it's wrapped underneath your Christmas tree some other time and save yourself some wrapping paper, right? Like that, that you could have done on your own. You have the money. You're a big boy. You're a big girl, right? I mean, this is exactly the model, and this is exactly what the chief priests and scribes are doing. They should have cared most about the Savior, about the Messiah, but it wasn't them who assembled themselves to figure out where this Messiah was. It took a region king, a client king, a foreigner, to bring them all together to have a discussion. Where is this Messiah that they've been waiting for? Right? And the big question that we have to ask about is this, right? It is why? Why in the world didn't the people who were supposed to care actually care? Because when we look at the chief priests and their scribes and the story, what we see is their legendary apatheticness, right? They just continue to live and go on with their busy lives like it didn't matter. And that's us sometimes, isn't it? Uh, look, at, look at verse 5. I want to pick up the chief priest and scribe story. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. You see, King Herod just had asked, hey, where, where's this king of yours supposed to be born? They had an answer right away. They knew right away. For it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Right? See, people with no vested interest had more interest than the people who said they cared. The chief priests and scribes, they were in the business of religion, and yet they cared little. They didn't actually go with the wise men to worship the king that they were waiting for. They provided the answer, and that was it. That was it. And this blows my mind because what, what, what in the world is going on with these religious people, right? I, they, they, were, they weren't even the most powerful people. It's not like they had the most important things to do. They were second-class citizens. They, they were colonized by Rome. And they were just happy, pleasantly surprised. Oh, the Messiah who's supposed to free me, who's supposed to change the way the world works? That's fine. He's over there. That was it. They were just too preoccupied. Listen, if you're here and, you know, you're not a Christian or a Christ follower, you know, I commend you for coming here today, right? You have no vested interest in this. But if you say you're a Christ follower, if you call yourself a Christian, right, one way or another, then you have to care. You have to care. This is our Savior, how can we go on with life pretending like this doesn't matter? Have you not experienced God's touch? Have you not felt God's love for real in your life? 
that you would just feel apathetic in the season? Do you have somebody else to see? Do you have something else that's more important than to spend your emotional energy on Jesus? I mean, if we care at all and believe at all about who God is and about God's love for us, about how God, Jesus' son, bore the punishment of our sins, then we wouldn't be apathetic at Christmas, would we? We would talk about what we love, about who we love. We would celebrate God's love for us. And in fact, that's what we learn from the wise men here in this story. It's adoration. Adoration, the embodiment of love. Adoration is the willingness to go through great lengths to show love. Look at what the wise men do in the story, right? In verse 1, after the days of, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod, they came from the east saying, where is he who is king of the Jews? For we saw his star and have come to worship him. They've come to worship him. And behold, the star that they had seen rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These people who had no vested interest... These were astrologers, astrologers. They traveled three years, right? And we know they traveled three years on their own dime because Herod asks, when did you see the star? Where have you come from? And Herod, we know at the end of the story, he has all the boys who are two years old and younger killed. So they traveled, and Herod just wanted to make sure that there was no king born. So they traveled three years, and they they went from one nation to another. They traversed countries. It's not like going from one side of town to the other. They traveled on their own dime. This is what adoration looks like. This is what it looks like to show love, right? What wouldn't you do for someone you love? And they had no relationship with this boy. But this is what they do. I know some of us here, we're Wolverine fans, right? And you're excited to go down to Miami because it's warm and root on your team for 25 years who haven't won a national championship. And you do that because you love them, right? You adore your team. But see, this is what we should be doing for our Savior, for God who was born in a manger, Right? In verse 10, when they finally get to that destination, look at what the wise men do. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. What that means is that they did the happy dance in some rural town when they had no reason to. Right? Can you imagine grown men outside of a house just dancing? We traveled three years and we're doing the happy dance because we traveled this far and we finally got here. That's love, right? I, I mean, what would you do just to, to, to embody that love? And when they get into the house, they fall down and worship a baby. How many of you actually got on your knees to play with your baby? These people are worshiping a baby, likely on a dirt floor, getting their clothes messed up, 
to say, wow, this is the king whom I love. It's not like giving your kid, you know, a Tickle Me Elmo or a PS5, right? They gave him gold, frankincense, myrrh. Like, this is not what you give to kids. This is what you give to a king, right? They, they went to great lengths to get this mined and harvested and then gathered enough to make this offering. That's what worship is. That's what adoration is. You see, because wise men worship Jesus. Wise men worship Jesus. And, and I want all of us to see it, right? When we woke up this morning, how much time did we spend worshiping our king? How much time did you show God love, adoration? And, and I don't mean, you know, reading a few verses on your phone or, or throwing up a quick alley-oop prayer to God to help you with your finances. But I mean saying, God, thank you so much. You're amazing. You're so incredible. You're so beautiful. You're so wonderful. And then you actually sat in awe of what he's done in your life. How many of us have worshipped and adored a king like that today? But that's exactly what Christmas is about, isn't it? It's about worshipping the king who was born. Jesus who was born to die so that we could live free from the penalty of sin. We adore Jesus in worship because our Savior arrived as a baby and he lived perfectly just so that he could die for us. So that our eternity could be secured with God in heaven through him. Right? Christ takes us from being angry and filled with anxiety and being apathetic to making us heirs with the Father, the creator of the universe. That's what we do on Christmas. In fact, this is what we should be doing every single day of our lives to worship the king because our eternity is secured and there's nothing in this life that will replace that in the next. And I think if we would collectively worship like these wise men worshiped, I will tell you that there is nothing that your boss or your neighbor or your spouse could do to you or say to you or what your children can do to resent you, to divide you. That would make you ever feel anxious or apathetic or angry again because you're filled with the love and worship of God. Try it, I dare you. I guarantee the joy of Christmas, the joy that these wise men felt will embody your lives and forever change it. This is what Christmas is, folks. What are we doing to show God who loves us that we love him? I want to invite the band back up and the ushers, if you can also come up so that we can all experience what adoration looks like this Christmas. I want all of us to stand. You all received candles coming in and the ushers are going to come around to, to light you up from the sides, to light up the candles from the sides. But today what we're going to do is we're going to practice. We're going to practice worshiping the king. You see, in the Gospel of John, the evangelist tells us this about Jesus. He says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. 
he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, we believe we are children of God because of Jesus, because of Jesus who was born in a manger in Bethlehem. He was born of a virgin. He was subjected to the law. He was tempted by sin, and yet he died sinless. He was sacrificed for the sinful, and then he was resurrected on the third day. The penalty of our sins past paid by his blood. The power of sin in our lives now rendered powerless by his love. The presence of sin in our future removed through his glory. That's the good news of Christmas. That is why we worship Jesus. In John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have eternal life. The flame that burns on your candle, that represents Christ's light to the world. We receive this light and allow it to fill our lives. This is our worship to Christ. Can we sing this song together? Dream. 
Worship is not complete without giving Jesus our offering. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, we don't have, but we offer our lives as a living sacrifice to be light to a dark world. 
That is our offering. Make that your offering. We're going to sing this one last song together. Can we all look at our candles and sing?
for your birth, for sending your son. Lord, accept our offering to you. Accept our lives. Help us not live in anger, apathy, but live in complete adoration to you. Lord, let this day mark a day where we worship you with our whole hearts, with our whole minds, and our whole bodies. Lord, we thank you. We pray that you bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, we all blow your candles. Have a Merry Christmas.
birds keep their watching Oh, silent flocks by night Behold, throughout the heavens There's shown a holy light the 
Jesus Christ is born. Hallelujah, hallelujah,
heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing and heaven and heaven and nature
such an, a blessing to be able to gather here together as the body of Christ, remembering that our Savior has come. Our Savior did what only He could do. And it's, we get the privilege to just respond, to respond to this great King. He is worthy. Amen. So let us sing to Him. Sing and remember, God, you're with us. God, Emmanuel. Oh 
lips of hell thy people say and give them victory
shout hallelujah it's ringing can you hear that sound saints and angels singing all creation shout hallelujah it's ringing can you Suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. The Lord, remind us, that night. Remind us. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin
You said we lost him. I found you all. <laughs> Thank goodness for that star. If it weren't for that star, I wouldn't have found you guys. <laughs> Pretty convenient that now you can read the stars. Oh no, just that big, super bright one. I mean, it's like blam. <laughs> but I'm still gonna need directions home. Can someone write that down for me? We don't have time for this. We're going to see the Messiah. Look at us, the four wise men. We're inseparable. More like insufferable. Speaking of suffering, my feet can't taste much more walking. It's been three years. We should have been home by now. You guys can blame me all day for losing those camels, but you all knew going into this that my double hitch knot needed a little work. <clears throat> Why don't we proceed in silence, reverent silence? in honor of the Messiah. Totally cool with that. Good. So, I was thinking. 
thinking about my gift. I mean, what baby needs white jade anyway, right? <laughs> We've been over this a thousand times. White jade represents his purity and goodness. The gold represents his royalty. The burning of frankincense reminds us that the aura of God is around us at all times, and the myrrh is to anoint him as king of kings. Right, 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 right. Just listen, listen. I think, I think I found a better gift. A gift that'll make everyone forget that I lost the white jade. You what? I mean, I think a gift that makes the white jade just look like nothing. A gift that's better than the white jade that I replaced. You replaced with what? The greatest gift of all. Oh yeah. Wait for it. Wait for it. Blam! Hummus! <laughs> you must be kidding. Do you mean you must be kidding? Because I'm not, I'm not kidding at all. Hummus is delicious, okay? And, and it's very, it's very symbolic. People unite together when they see hummus. Much like a savior. Okay, okay. This is my bad, this is on me. You guys go see the Messiah, I'll just stay here. I think that would be best, but at least you have a snack. Yeah. I just thought it just doesn't matter what we bring this little king. He doesn't need any of our gifts. I mean, you know, he's a savior. I mean, he's a, he's a gift to us. Maybe I was hoping he's bigger than all my mistakes. Yeah, I guess that's what I was hoping. All right, I'll see you guys later. Why are you doing that? Because I hope he's that kind of a savior too. Let's go. I wish someone had some pita bread. Blam! Merry Christmas. Welcome, welcome. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if you don't know who the fourth wise man is, now you know, right? He's the guy that brought hummus. I'm just kidding. We actually don't know if there were three wise men. So if you had in your minds that there were three wise men, get that out of your minds. Um, the Bible doesn't actually say how many wise men there were. The three wise men came up. That came up um, sometime in the 8th century, right? And that idea just kind of stuck, right? So uh, I just want to, to share that with you. But more importantly, I, I want to know if you know anybody who brings the hummus to your parties, Right? Are you that guy? Are you that person? Um, don't look guilty. Don't look at your spouse. It's okay. It's okay to forget a gift. There's 7-Eleven. I think they're still open. We're going to be in Matthew 2 today. And before we open there, um, we're going to pray. Father in heaven, you are love. In your love, you sent your son into the world so that we might live through him. In your love, you had your son Jesus pay for our sins. It's in your love that we are given new birth, new purpose, new family. We're called your children because you loved us as your own. We love you because you loved us first. 
You make us perfect in your love, and we celebrate Christmas because it marks the day that your love was birthed on earth in the form of a human, and we celebrate that momentous occasion today. I ask that your love will manifest itself through us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Illuminate our minds and our hearts today and bring us toward your infinite love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 1 through 16. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. This past December, we've been looking at first-person accounts of the first Christmas. Stories of the people who were there for the first time in the hopes that their experiences would teach us something. That it would teach us something about ourselves Moreover, it would teach us about the purpose of Christmas. Regardless of how you feel about Jesus, about Christmas, um, about God in general, I want you to know that there are three general emotional responses that we can give in any situation, in any event, in any holiday. Those three emotional responses are these. It's apathy, it's anger, it's adoration. And we're going to learn these three things from three of the characters that we see in this story. The three characters that we want to learn from today are King Herod, the client king of the Jews, the chief scribes and priests, right, the chief priests and scribes, and then the wise men. 
There's a fourth response in there, and you're going to see this hinted subtly, and it's anxiety. I know for some of us, it's not anger or apathy or adoration, but it's anxiety that plagues us and haunts us around Christmas time. But we're going to get into all of that right now. We're going to start with anger. What I want to do now is I want to take this story, this really long story, this really long narrative, and break it down to just the pieces so you see the character story unfold for all of us. Because when we see their stories unfold, we're going to see clearly how they respond to an event like Christmas. Okay? Um, we're going to go again in our Bibles, and this time I'm just going to read the portions that apply to Herod. In verse 1, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So you see when the three wise men came or when the multitude of wise men came, we don't know how many, Herod, king of the Jews the guy who negotiated with the Roman Senate to get this position, who killed his brother, who killed family members to have this title, he got anxiety over it. He got anxious because some foreigners came and said, hey, there's this guy. We, we saw it in the stars. He's supposed to be the king. And it made him anxious. Right? Um, and so in his anxiety, he assembles all of the leaders, right? Basically the experts to alleviate his anxiety, right? And, and he does this, and he does this very well. We, we call it manipulation, right? We can call it manipulation. I, I think some of us would say that's too mean. Herod does emotional intelligence very well, right? He, he manipulates a situation socially. So he gathers the people who think this is important, says, hey, where's this king that's supposed to be yours? And when that doesn't work out, he goes and makes a secret meeting. He whispers. He has a private conversation with the wise men saying, hey, can you find this guy? How many of us have done that during Christmas time when we use our emotional intelligence to move our uncle or our aunt around that cousin so they're not sitting at the same place, at the same table at Christmas time? How many of you have done this for tonight? Anybody? You don't have to raise your hands, right? I mean, you know, this, this is exactly what Herod did. He uses his anxiety. He's so anxious. He's trying to alleviate it some way, somehow. And it's burning him up. And I want us to see this because, you know what? When we start doing this around Christmas time, we're starting to miss the point. Um, but when that manipulation failed, because this is how anxiety turns into anger, Herod became furious. Right? At the end of the story, in verse 16, what we see, what Herod is doing, he's, he's lashing out. He's lashing out because his anxiety caused him to be angry. Anybody's anxiety caused you to be angry this Christmas, around Christmas time? Right? Look, look, look at verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, the wise men didn't trick him, by the way, he became furious. And he had killed all the, men, all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years old old or under, according to the time he ascertained from the wise men. He committed genocide. Why as the king, why after negotiating so hard, making so many political moves, would you in your right mind go and have your tax base killed off? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, but that's what anger does, right? It doesn't make sense, but whoever comes upon your wrath, it hurts, it kills even. 
And maybe, maybe your anger is not that at Christmas time. Your anger is not that. Your anxiety is not that. It's more like a teapot kettle simmer, right? It's hot to the touch. When you touch it, you will get burned. Whoever touches you will get burned. But you whisper. It doesn't create big splashes or big waves. But you know it's hot. You know it's bubbling up. You know it's scalding, right? And I can tell you why you get this anxiety, and I can tell you why you get this anger, and maybe you can relate, because you know what? It's the reality of another year ending, and your dreams and your goals are still left unobtained. They're just there, watching everyone else accomplish and achieve things that you wished and dreamed of, but haven't. Maybe it's the memories of people you lost causes you anxiety and anger, the meals you have to prep and then serve and then clean up, right? Maybe it's the family members you have to accommodate and their unforgiving schedules. Maybe it's the bills piling up or the unfulfillment you're feeling at work. If it's not any of those things, then perhaps it's because you're under the pressure to buy the best present, to go out to all of the parties, and then to do all those things without catching COVID. How can you not be angry? How can you not be filled with anxiety? Right? And when things don't go your way and they don't go as planned, because guess what? They hardly ever rarely go by your plan. It makes you straight angry. It boils you red, right? And I mean, you know, you're thinking about that uncle. You forgot to buy that present for it. I just reminded you and you have to go to 7-Eleven. You hate that uncle. Why do you have to get him the present? It makes you so angry, right? I mean, those are the aspects of Christmas that make you anxious, that make you red in the face. But you know what? Christmas isn't about us, is it? It's not about our kid. It's not about the meal. It's not about the party. It was always about Jesus, right? It's not about being socially obliged to go and gossip, it actually marks the day God came into earth in the fray of humanity. That's what Christmas is. But maybe, maybe so you're not anxious and you're not angry at Christmas. You're just filled with apathy. I get that. You're, you're apathetic to Jesus and to God. And in fact, the only reason you're here is because the person that you think you love or you say you love is here and said, you need to come to church with me on Christmas Eve. Right? And, and maybe it's just another day in a long list of days where doesn't add any iota to your life and so Christmas comes and goes but what does it matter whether or not you celebrate it's not your birthday this happened 2,000 years ago in the Middle East you got the Witcher to watch on Netflix you got people to see you got things to do and you have more more energy to give to other people so how can you not be apathetic Right? It's not like you couldn't afford or buy that present that you wrapped under the tree anyway. It might have been cheaper even on another day because you'd save on the wrapping paper. But this is exactly what the chief priests and the scribes do. Right? In the first century, look at their story. It starts, it picks up in verse 4. And Herod, assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so the big question that we have to ask ourselves is this. When the wise men were clamoring for information in Jerusalem, why was it the client king of the Jews that had to assemble the experts? This was their job. This was their religion. Shouldn't they have cared enough to know? Shouldn't they have assembled themselves already? 
And here's what blows me even further, right? This is what makes their apathy legendary, right? Look at this in verse 5. The chief priests and scribes told them, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They actually had the answer. They didn't, got, they didn't have to go looking for it. They knew it. That's how casual it was. It was in the back of their minds, right? And so they knew it, but they had no real concern for it, right? They, they spit the information out. And here's, here's what's good, right? Here, here's what's interesting. The chief priests and the scribes, they were second-class citizens in the first century, they were colonized by Rome. They didn't even have their own king. And they were waiting for a king. Yet, they were unmoved, even though their king was to be born. How could you be colonized? How can you be second-class citizens and still move on with your lives like this big thing didn't happen? That's apathy. Right? And listen, if you're here and you know nothing about Jesus and you don't care about church and you don't care about God, that's okay. I commend you for coming because someone invited you. That is great. Right? Go, go meet some of our friends in the lobby. They, they're going to give you a gift. But you know what? If you call yourself a Christian or if you call yourself a Christ follower and you just don't care one way or another about our king being born, then you've got to ask yourself, why don't you care? Why don't you care more? Does the love of God not feel real to you? Have you not experienced God's touch in your life recently? Maybe you're too preoccupied with something else, somebody else, that you just don't have enough emotional energy for Jesus. I mean, if we care at all about what we believe, who God is, about his love for us, about what it means for our sins, then we wouldn't be apathetic at Christmas. We would talk about what we love. We would celebrate God's love for us. And in fact, that's what we learn from the wise men, the wise men in the story. We learn what adoration is, what adoration looked like, because adoration is the embodiment of love. Adoration is the willingness to go through great lengths to show love. I want us to look at the wise men's story here. We're going to park here for a while. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. In verse 9, it continues, And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These people, they had no vested interest in a Messiah, in a king. They weren't even from the country. They weren't from the country. They didn't care. They, they were astrologers. They saw a star and they were like, hey, let's go follow it and see what happens. We think this is important. And they show up in Jerusalem, right? They, their willingness to travel. And, and I'm not talking about going from Berkeley to Madison Heights. I'm talking about traversing co countries. 
They're going across countries. We know how long their journey took. Their journey took about three years. And the reason we knew that is because when Herod ascertains, hey, what time did the star appear? They tell him. So he has all the kids two and under killed. So the amount of time it took for them to go, right? How much time is that in your life? Three years of your life. Just imagine following a star because it's that important. I know some of you Wolverine fans, you're sitting here and you're excited to go to Miami this weekend or next weekend or whenever the game is, but this is what adoration is, right? This is what it means when fans travel, right? Because you're willing to go to great lengths. And I mean, hopefully it's worth a quarter century in the making when, if they win, right? But this is exactly what the, the wise men are feeling, they're, what they're experiencing here. They're willing to travel great lengths. And then when they finally get there in verse 10, what do they do? They rejoice exceedingly with great joy. They did the happy dance in some rural town. They did the happy dance outside of a house. They don't even know what's inside of it yet. They're out there doing a happy dance. Just imagine like grown men doing the happy dance, right, with their entourage. That's what they're doing right outside. And then they go into the house, and what do they find? They find the baby. They find the baby and his mother, and they're like, whoa, let me get down on my knees. Let me mess up my nicest suit so I can worship a baby who I know nothing about, who I look at this star and I followed all along, right? This is what adoration is, right? We're going to great lengths, traveling to see something, somebody. The humility that it takes to come down and worship on your knees, right? And then they give gifts to this child. And the gifts are gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's not like getting the latest version of Tickle Me Elmo to your kid or, or the PS5. It's not like that at all. These are gifts for a king. They had to go get it mined and harvested and then gather enough of it to make it a worthy offering. This is a big deal, right? And so this is what showing love, love looks like. This is what they had to do. They went to great lengths. That's worship. That's what worship is. That's what adoration is. And so we find in this first Christmas that the wise men worshiped Jesus. So I want to ask all of us, did we wake up and worship Jesus today? And I don't mean like you woke up, you opened your Bible app, and you read a few verses, and then you said, you know, an alley-oop prayer saying, God, we need, you know, someone to cancel us on dinner or something, right? I mean, like, did you wake up and say, God, thank you. God, this is awesome. This is wonderful. This is amazing. I just want to show you my love. God, you're so beautiful. And then did we actually sit in awe of who he is and what he's doing? Because that is what Christmas is about. About worshiping the born king, Jesus, who was born to die for us so that we can live free from the penalties of sin. So that when we worship Jesus and adore him, we recognize that he dies on a cross for us when he didn't have to. He was born to die and to be resurrected so that we can have an eternity with God. This should take all of us, any of us, from anger, apathy, straight to adoration. I mean, just imagine if every single day of our lives were filled with worship, adoring our God. What would change? 
I mean, there's nothing that your bosses could do to you, nothing that your kids could do, right? There's nothing that your spouses can say or resent you for that would make you ever feel anxious, angry, or feel apathetic, ever. This is the beauty of what it means to adore the king. I guarantee if you try it, you will experience the joy of Christmas like these wise men doing the happy dance wherever you find yourself because God is there. And you get to worship the born king. That, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of Christmas. I, I want to invite the ushers back up the band if you can come up. Um, I, I want us all to collectively experience the true adoration of Christmas. All of you received these candles coming in. And the ushers are going to come around and start lighting the candles for you. And if you can light the, your neighbor's candles, that, that's going to be great. But today, tonight, we're going to worship Jesus. We're going to show him adoration. We're going to show him worship. Because Jesus is the lover of our souls, our God, our Savior, King. And we have freedom in him. You see, the evangelist John in his gospel, he says this about Jesus. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were not born of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. You see, I believe that we are children of God because of Jesus. He was born of a virgin, subjected to the law, tempted by sin, and yet he died sinless. He was sacrificed for the sinful. And then he was resurrected on the third day. You see, the penalty of our sins past was paid by the blood of Jesus. The power of, our, of sin in our lives now, they're rendered powerless by Jesus. The presence of sin in our future, they're forever removed by Jesus. That's the good news of Christmas. In John 8, Jesus continues to say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The flame that burns on your candles, that represents Christ's light to this dark world. We receive this light and allow it to fill our lives. That is how we worship Jesus. Can we all stand up? and sing this song as a token of our love for him. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.